Welcome back to episode number 42 of the Boxing One podcast. This is the homie, Jay Rich, John Richards. And I'm here with the homie, C-Last. What's up, Chris Lassiter? What's cracking, man? Chilling, man. I'm chilling. All right, man. We got a lot to get into today, man. We're going to be talking NBA trades, NBA free agent signings, which we thought was over, but there's some major news happening in the recent days that we want to talk about. I also want to touch on some uh, NFL protest stuff. I know people have been uh, trying to figure that out and figure out responses to that. So we got some things to say about that, right? And then uh, we want to talk about how we disagree with brothers and sisters in Christ and how disagreement works in scripture. So we pray that this episode is edifying to you. But first, we got to give a shout out to episode number 42's featured athlete, right? Only can be one. Only can be one. If anybody, if it's anybody else, we don't know our history, we don't know our legacy, and we don't know sports. The one and only Jackie Robinson, who transformed the game of baseball, transformed sports, transcended sports, and actually uh, became a civil rights icon in an era where we needed an athlete to do something. Um, we, uh, we've also, a lot of people have seen the movie 42, have seen the way he integrated baseball, have read some of the books, but, uh, his contribution to our nation has been something that writers were right on for centuries to come. Couldn't be ap more apropos either for some of the stuff we're discussing, some of the quotes that he had about honoring the flag. Um, and he was a military guy on top mm. of that. So he actually one of the reasons he was chosen um, in the book, it says when they were looking for the ideal candidate, they wanted someone with a military background because they thought that would make them more endearing to Americans. But he has some strong things to say about how blacks were treated in the military and in, uh, and in the sports world. So um, very cool. apropos. And as we lead into some of these topics tonight, good to have him on board for this episode, because this is going to be a good one. Certainly. <laughs> We're going to jump right into this trade action and free agent action that happened over the past several days in the NBA. We're about a month out from beginning the NBA season. And for those of us who aren't watching the NFL, we're waiting with bated breath for the first tip off at the end of this month. And we cannot wait. But there's something that changed the landscape of basketball that happened over the past several days. So I need to ask you this, C-Lass, okay, as a basketball fan, as an NBA fan, we had Carmelo Anthony being shipped off to Oklahoma City for a couple of players that, yeah, we don't really want to talk about because they're just throwing guys, I believe, um, Cantor, a couple of others. But the big name in the trade, obviously, is Carmelo Anthony. He now joins Paul George and Bodie, a.k.a. Russell Westbrook, in Oklahoma City, creating their own version of a big three. Now, in the East, we had somebody join the Cleveland Cavaliers who, after he bought out, got bought out by the Chicago Bulls, decided to join his homie, and I would say best friend at this point. Those guys are really close friends. Dwayne Wade is now a Cleveland Cavalier. So he now joins their starting five. Question C last. Which one of these teams moves gives them a better chance to win it all this year? 
Or are we still just not talking about them in this conversation? All right. So basically, if you were to ask me who has a bigger impact on the NBA season this year, Wade or uh, Melo, I would say Melo has the better individual season, but Wade is in a better position to win. And so I think Wade has the bigger season of the two as terms of actual impact on the postseason because I think coming out the East is a lot easier than coming out the West still. So you got a ton of super teams out in the West, and most prognosticators still think that even with all those moves, a lot of these teams haven't passed your Spurs. So um, that'll be interesting to see. But I feel like also um, – Wade joined a group of superstars, but the best superstar in that on that team and in the league um, loves to play the role of facilitator, whereas uh, Melo will go with a lot of alphas, so um, including the king alpha of the NBA, the one player who plays every all-star possession as <laughs> if it's a real game and the championship's on the line. So Exactly. Everybody knows you're talking about Russ, and I – Cannot wait to see how this plays out in Oklahoma City. Because those are three alphas. You're sure. You're right. Like Wade and James have played together before. They know how this goes with one another. I can't wait to see that three-quarter courts, full-court pass that's going to just hit James right in the hands and him dunking it on the other end. They have this chemistry that's really cool. Uh, But we know Dwayne Wade is probably in the twilight of his career. So it's going to be interesting to see how he meshes with that team. But I think in terms of impact, I think the mellow trade is probably going to have a greater impact on the Thunder. But I don't think they get over that hump, man, because I'm not sure they're going to be able to deal with one another's need to have the ball in their hands. I think in both cases, I mean, obviously, like, you're right. There's already a chemistry on the one end, and I think that helps, too. Not only does it help, but you're, again, playing with a facilitator, somebody who willingly gives up the ball and a chemistry. So I think Wade fits in way more seamlessly. Like, I love the fact that OKC's been aggressive and got superstars in when someone said when Durant left, they'll never be able to get a superstar. They were able to keep their own superstar and add superstars around them. But they all kind of do a lot of the same things. So... I don't, I don't know if you have Paul George, why you need Melo, and if you have Melo, why you need Paul George. But I guess part of that thinking is, hey, this is for one year, and then like we can reevaluate and still be in a position of leverage after this year. Yeah, and I will say OKC trade, traded a guy who was an anchor down low. I mean, Cantor had his moments last year where he just ran his mouth too much, but he was actually a good defensive player. And we can't say that about Mello. We can say that about George. And we already know about Russ's Matador defense. So when you're playing out West and you're playing teams that score 120, 130 points a game, who's going to stop them? Yeah. Which, which one of the guys on that squad is going to stop them? That's my question. So it's a good team to play 2K with. <laughs> I'm not sure. If it's Are a they good the team. best 2K team now or is it still the Warriors? I don't know. They probably haven't updated it yet. But let me just say this. You know, the Spurs have like 98s and 99s in 2K. That's funny. Which which is crazy. But we'll see how that plays out, man. I really don't care to watch the East this year. But now the Cavs might be pretty fun to watch with Wade and James creating some of that old magic and Kevin Love 
riding the coattails. That's going to be Last, cool. We'll wrap up this section, but who is the best player on the Knicks after KP? Crickets. We might just leave that out there. <laughs> we might have to have our listeners who actually are Knicks fans answer that because nobody knows. Yeah. I mean, the East just looks strange. Like, it just looks barren. It's like when, if you ever have lived somewhere close, and I know you're from the South too, where there was industry, and then like the industry left, and a town tried to reinvent itself. That's kind of how the East, the Eastern Conference feels right now. <laughs> when, when Michael Beasley got his eyes on an All Star appearance, right, right. That's when you know the East has problems. Like Beasley so. about to be an All Star out in these East streets. <laughs> it's like the Detroit. Of the NBA. Sorry, Detroit people, but yeah. you know, that happened. <laughs> so listen, man, unless you've been living under a rock this weekend, the, the president shot out the tweet that I said was heard around the sports world. And many of the NFL players and owners responded to that tweet. Now, his tweet was about respecting the flag. And as you know, Colin Ka Kaepernick has gotten a lot of pushback from what he did a year or so ago and he's still without a job but after hearing the president's comments calling people sobs and other uh things that he called people out on at an alabama rally a lot of nfl players rallied around one another and either knelt during the games didn't come out of the tunnel for the national anthem or they stood in locked arms during the national anthem that caused a lot of pushback from a lot of folks and uh, my boss ed stetzer decided to write a column on his blog on christianity today about how christians should respond to it and i think it was a great piece it was really balanced but there was one section in there and uh ed's the kind of boss that i can say something to him about it so i said hey come on bro I, and I said that, bro, <laughs> in my email. <laughs> and I was, he said, so why don't you write a response? And I did write a response. And it was posted this week. And we've gotten some really good feedback on it. But my response was into, in response to him saying that he felt like Colin Kaepernick's protest and even the protests this weekend were unhelpful um, in moving the conversation forward. So I decided I was going to just walk through a brief history of minority protests that a lot of people felt like they were, quote unquote, unhelpful. But now they're in the annals of history as wonderful protests. So it's interesting that decades later, now we feel like those protests were things that we can tout as the greatest sports moments in history. Will this be one of them? I don't know, man. Tell me your thoughts. Okay. So many thoughts, and I'm going to try to keep them concise. But for me, like, I love, for me, it's very important to trace the history of a thing. So I loved the piece that you wrote. Everyone should check it out. And I told you when you had sent it to me earlier, um, the cleats, the, the, it ends with cleats. You'll have to read it for it to make sense. But the cleats analogy at the end is a mic drop, and it was beautifully written. So Kudos to you. So many thoughts. All right, let me see if I can concise these down. All right, so first, I'm going to try to explain to you an internal struggle that I'm having. Then we'll try to move past this to some things I feel a little bit more clarity on. For people, 
Like, I think there are people, and there always will be people that say, like, hey, I don't want to say what I really want to say, but hiding behind this, I feel disrespected because it's the flag thing, like, is a cop-out, right? But then I think there are genuine people who, when they think of our flag, can't disassociate it from the sacrifices of soldiers. And I think that's a real thing. And the mm. thing that I compare it to for me is the Confederate flag. Like someone can come to me and say heritage, not hate. Like I don't hate black people. When I see that flag, my immediate thought is also white sheets and crosses burning. Like those two things to me are inseparable. So when I look at that and I hear someone, and this is how I would kind of use as a litmus test. If someone who was Caucasian was burning the flag, the people that would have the same amount of outrage, like I understand how they can feel like, hey, we understand what you're protesting, but like, why are you disrespecting people who have given their lives? Like, why are we, why are we fighting it on that ground? So like part of me like wrestles internally with that piece just because I know like that's more of an emotive argument than a logical argument. Yeah. But I know how I feel when I see the Confederate flag and I can't separate those feelings and no amount of logic would ever be able to make me differentiate those two. All right. Uh, the next thing, uh, the two ways I just think like Christians can totally miss it on just miss the gospel is trying to force fit any political leader, but especially the political leader we have now into this godly man narrative, no matter what his behavior is. Right. So always looking to excuse and then like then it becomes a gospel issue when we as Christians, evangelicals, like latch on to this man in such a way that we're always having to defend like ungodly behavior, which clearly like there was ungodly behavior at the march in Alabama or the rally. Right. And then trying to force fit this into like this godly man narrative, like it just becomes very troubling and. Uh, no matter who that person is, I think there should be more division in like uh, Christians say Christ is Lord, not Caesar. And then finally, man, I just I'm with you. I'm trying to figure out like um, what does it look like to be um, a person with the ministry of reconciliation in this point when our country is so divided? How do we keep the gospel chief but say like, hey, we're not hiding in a cowardly way behind it saying like we're only doing the gospel. We're saying like like, and then how does the gospel speak to this situation and how should I respond? And then the other thing where most minority Christians probably don't fall into the category of like trying to deify Trump, like there's still that call to say like, what do the scriptures say about how we pray for and respect uh, leadership, even when we don't agree, even um, when it doesn't seem like at times that person has our best interest at heart. So uh, lots of thoughts, man, lots, but I'll let you take it from here. No, no. I mean, I mean, most people can probably read the article that I wrote and kind of run through some of my um, points and, and arguments surrounding the history of African-American resistance in this country and peaceful protests. And a lot of that happened in the arena of sports. If you think about the 68 Olympic protest by Tommy Sims and his, his partner there, 
um, winning gold and silver and doing the infamous black power fist um, on the podium and Muhammad Ali and others. It just is the space that we have created to create this public display of nonviolent resistance to uh, policies that are in place or injustices that are in place that allows the public to see that we are not going to take this sitting down. Um, but we won't do it in a violent way. So um, a lot of people compare what happened this weekend to that because it was a nonviolent act protest of the injustices that are happening in our system. And some of the comments from our from our commander in chief kind of led more people to do that. But Kaepernick, his initial reason for doing it and the reason that he's still of the same mindset is that he felt like there was a lot of injustice going on um, in the in the United States. And he wanted to highlight that. So he is not without ancestors who have not done the same thing. So I wanted to point that out for sure. What I didn't write, what I really wanted to say was that <laughs> was that when Francis Scott Key was pinning this national anthem, there were some people who were not part of the land of the free. We were not free at that time. So, so why would um, this recent history of us being in a desegregated society allow many of us to... Um, to immediately get on board with something that was pinned in the point where at a time when we our ancestors were fighting for their own freedom or even struggling under the oppressive um, system of slavery i, I think um <clears throat> if somebody would just point to me and say like, why you know um if, if there i mean there's so many examples of things and lots of them are Things we've had these conversations, we've watched them played out in social media, and uh, minorities feel this way, and um, the response is, "Well, you have to factor in all these other considerations. Like you can't just look at it in a vacuum." But I think, for me personally, um, out of everything that's happened over the last three years, and um, one of the hardest things to watch, and I don't know why it's this moment, but um, you watch uh, Dylan Roof go into a church and um, shoot up non-people, right? And then not only does he not get shot, but they stop and get him Burger King because he's hungry on the way to jail. And um, mm. when you just think about like how frightening like police stops have become, and I do believe there are good cops and I'm not anti-cops by any means, but you look at that and you say like, like, how can it be this different, you know? And I think um, that's what people are saying. Like, hey, a lot of the times you'll hear stuff about like, what about personal responsibility? And our response is, hey, like in our community, we do preach personal responsibility on issues too, but like these things are systemic as well. Those are wings of an airplane. It's not just uh, one or the other. And so that that was the moment for me when, I mean, these things are like weighty, like you can emotionally feel them weighing on you. And I think nothing felt more weighty to me than that. So so you guys go over, check out the article. And here's the thing. It's okay to disagree. You could disagree with me. You could disagree with Chris. But what we love to have happens is, a lot. 
is dialogue with one another um, so that we can kind of talk through some of the issues that we have and then present our perspective. Because I believe African-Americans have a unique perspective that many white evangelicals don't see. Listen, you won't believe the number of people who have tweeted me or emailed me and said that what I wrote was very helpful. So good to hear that. But it's only because my boss allowed me to disagree with him in public, which was great. Yeah. And also said we need minority voices weighing in on this conversation, too. So thank you, Dr. Stetson, for that. So, Jay Rich, you had just mentioned being okay to disagree with us. And so, um, like, we've kind of committed to this thing with the gospel and that we bear with people and that... um, we're willing to talk those things out in love. And so one of the things every week, if we just pull back the curtain, we say, hey, we want to like expressly at the end, towards the end of the show, talk about theological things. And sometimes those things are more theological. Sometimes those things are more practical. This week, we thought it was super important to go practical and say, hey, like, how do Christians disagree like what is a what is a gospel-centered response when you guys aren't coming to the same conclusion when you can't see things from the same perspective and you reach an impasse like how do you move forward when there's disagreement as christians and so um we thought we'd look at a couple passages um, a couple of times where that played out in scriptures and kind of help give people a framework for what that should look like when it's done well so uh jay rich what you got for me how do, we, how do we disagree well? So I think the quintessential passage, when we look at that happening, um, has, to, has to happen in the book of Acts, right? So I think there's, <laughs> there's, <laughs> this is when the church is in its infancy, trying to figure things out, trying to shape their own theology of, of this, this Messiah who they, they're now following. And when that happens, man, folks are going to have disagreements about stuff, especially when you're talking about uh, Jewish people who are now grafting in a new people who have these traditions and customs that are unknown to them or just foreign or just even blasphemous in some Jewish circles. So with that context, you see uh, the church in um, Acts chapter 15 and 17 uh, wrestling with these questions and Paul, Barnabas, Peter, Uh, James, all the leaders in the church trying to figure out, hey, what are we going to do here? Um, How are we going to approach this? And the beautiful thing about it and and seeing that is is that when you look at Acts chapter 15, verse 2, right? It says, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So they met as a council later on in Acts. 17 um to to discuss some issues that brought some disagreement and dissension among the brothers and paul concludes later on he's like hey look um you know they they only asked me to remember the poor which that was the thing i was going to do anyway so he was, so so the disagreement that they were having was probably more of a misunderstanding once they were able to flesh things out now, obviously the gentile mission continued to be a a point of contention, but I think it's pretty informative for us, man, especially when it's what I call non-essential issues, right? Um, so so we know the essentials of the gospel with and being orthodox, but there are things that are just preferential for 
for believers. And when there's disagreement there, um, I think that you have to create space for having those Act 17 moments where you kind of sit down in the room and flesh out some of those differences. And it's hard in a, a world of social media where folks just keep throwing barbs at you. I did tell you there was some positive feedback from my article, but there was also some trolls. <laughs> and uh, there are times when you, I, I can't respond to them, but there are other times where I just feel like, man, if I can just talk to you and kind of talk to you about our disagreement, like that's something that is found in scripture. Even Jesus talking about it in the gospels, talking about if you have fought against your brother. Um, so throughout the New Testament, man, you see that. Any other examples you can think of, Chris? Yes, uh, the church in Rome. So many people would say like, hey, this is Paul at his best, laying out the gospel, the case for Christianity. And for a lot of chapters, um, it's just very theological and it's weighty and it's beautifully written. At the end, he says, hey, like I'm on my way to Spain. Like I need your support. Uh, this is the gospel. This is the case for Christianity. And here's some questions you guys had for me. And I mean, he's answering the weaker brother, the more mature brother, like, hey, you guys are Jews, you guys are Gentiles, like we're not starting two separate churches. I mean, so, I mean, just the entire end of Romans, uh, it starts to get very practical in 12, but then he like answers specific questions on in 13 and 14, especially chapter 14. So that's always been something to me that Paul didn't give them options other than, hey, work this out. Yeah. So um, here's some practical tips, but work it out. Like, And then Paul himself as an example saying like, look, if this is going to be an offense to you, I just will stop eating meat. Like if that if it's that big a deal. And I think the principle there is um, that, you know, uh, there's an onus on the more mature believer to set the pace in Christ likeness there to be the bigger person um, in those situations. And I also think about um, uh, Philemon um, and just Paul helping them resolve conflict, you know, and there being these two people, uh, one that got shortchanged, one that ran away and Paul just sitting in there mediating. And so sometimes we not even be the person in the conflict, but we can be Paul in that situation. Um, where Paul's a picture of Christ being the mediator. There's only one mediator between God and man. And then Paul just saying like, hey, here's what mediation looks like on a practical level. Like me stepping in between this conflict and saying like, hey, we can resolve this. So um, Yeah, it's good. That's the same thing in Philippians 4 too, right? With your girls, Yulia and Synthiki. Um, He said, wow. I, I entreat them to agree in the Lord. This is like in the middle of his big corpus on um you know joy and rejoicing he's like uh oh wait a second let me mention my girls because uh their witness cannot uh, be effective unless they are walking in this unity that i was just talking about in chapters one and two um so it's huge for paul and in a lot of his letters is seeing your witness can be affected by uh disagreements that you have with people that can be schisms and who's who better to know about that than paul we right. talked about this before, right? With Barnabas and, and Mark um, and seeing that come full circle later, uh, his later letters, when he becomes reflective, Paul and says, I, the Mark is necessary for me now. So um, just seeing that man is encouragement in scripture. Yeah. Reconciliation there. 
Yes, to know that we Paul can. Paul was do... obviously a big fan of Mark going on that next missionary journey. <laughs> no, he said, uh, "Barnabas, your dude's kind of soft. I don't know if that's who we want to take." And Barnabas I'm... was like, "Yo, well, I'm not going without him." He's like, "Well, then <laughs> I gotta check you the deuces then." Right, right. Like I'm good on Mark. Oh, you good on Mark? Well, I'm good on you. So, <laughs> like, like seeing these two leaders in the church, like seeing that play out and seeing Luke record that. Is helpful for us, man, because like they weren't perfect in their relationships. And I don't think that we need to be either. But ultimately, it's about our witness to others and being able to um, reconcile with one another, being able to disagree uh, in ways that are helpful to move the conversation forward, which is what I'm, I appreciate about Ed um, posting my article is a lot of people were like, this is how it should be. Like he gave you platform. And I see your I see your perspective and I see his perspective. And let's move this conversation forward. And then I, I think one more example is Paul just kind of lamenting at the church in Corinth and saying, like, hey, y'all had to get lawyers involved. Y'all had the lawyer up here. Like, <laughs> like right. there wasn't one wise person in the church that could work as a reconciling person. Like, I mean, what what is the what like we're kind of losing our gospel witness in this court since we're suing each other in it like this isn't good so yeah that's good man so so yeah as you can see disagreement happened in scripture but paul and others seem like they went really beyond beyond measure to see that those schisms didn't impact the gospel witness that all of us are called to so Hopefully that was helpful for you guys. Again, we try to address a gospel issue, gospel related issue for each show. And this was one we felt like really fit well into this context because there's a lot of disagreeing going on in social media, even among Christians. So uh, hopefully those examples were helpful for you. All right, see last man, you gotta, you gotta let the people know what have you been reading lately or what's been in your Rolodex on the reading? tip okay so um just as far as biblically um i've been working through the sermon on the mount and that's been amazing i finished up chapter five today i'll start chapter six tomorrow morning and then two blogs i just wanted um to pass along one of them was by uh tabidi anya Buwale. it's on the front porch it's an older article but it's just talking about um it's a blog i think the title of it is when it gets personal and it's just along the lines that we were talking about. And just as we were discussing podcast ideas, I was like, ah, that was a good piece. Um, basically just talking about how do we resolve things in a gospel way without like it getting personal. And here's some red flags to say like, hey, if I'm saying these things about people, like I'm no longer worried about the health of the church, but I've made this personal. Um, so that was a good read. That's a quick read, but I think it would be um, just, it would help all of us guard our hearts towards that and create healthier churches if we all live by that. Then the second one, um, you and I actually met at a legacy conference years back and I try to drive out there some, some years I fly. This year I drove out with my man, Macklin Mosley, who's from a different part of Virginia, Star City, Roanoke. Um, and I went down to Roanoke South about an hour and a half, picked him up and we drove out um, with some of our uh, family members. but white nationalists were protesting in front of a statue in his city and um, he just felt compelled to spend about an hour hearing their stories um, and then just 
as much as he could sharing the gospel with them. And he wrote about some of that experience in a blog. We'll post it somewhere so you can read the link. But it was really amazing. And you kind of see like, hey, for someone who like, I guess he was talking to two gentlemen, but the crux of it is like, hey, here's two people that don't think maybe you have the same worth as they do, um, but still be willing to bear through that in order to point them towards his savior. So um, it's good. It's worth the read. It's very intriguing because you don't read about stuff like that every day. What about you? Yeah, we'll post those certainly in the show notes for you guys to to check out. So for me, man, I've I've been diving in the scripture. So I definitely want to to say I've been walking through Luke 24, just got to the um Luke's gospel, just got to the end of Luke's gospel in Luke 24, and something struck me again after reading it and just seeing the women at the tomb and then coming back and not having the men believe them. Um, and then reflecting on women in leadership roles in the church or in uh, corporate America or anywhere else and how um, there's a, there's an ethos that, that kind of goes throughout our culture of having men in leadership in those contexts. So it was convicting to me and I definitely wrote something about that, but um, yeah, I've just been kind of, kind of just staying in scripture lately, man. I have a class I'm teaching on first Kings 19, tomorrow so so yeah it's just just been scripture lately man first kings 19 what's the takeaway for us or you can't give it away yet because the class i got you i can't man i can't i will next go around though i'll let you know that's dope i think How i know that? one of them but we'll we'll save it we'll see <laughs> we'll compare notes afterwards got you all right closing shout outs all right so um gotta give a shout out we can't talk about uh the women without giving a shout out to our girl maya moore and the links are playing in the WNBA finals again versus the uh, Sparks again. And hopefully this is going to be a great series. They had a great game one. Looks like the links are trying to get back in it. Kind of we're blowing them out when this podcast started, but we want to give a shout out to the ladies tonight. So um, shout out to the WNBA women in the league doing their thing, especially Maya Moore holding it down for the gospel sake. So, Man, shout out to my man, Greg Popovich, man. He always brings it whenever something like this comes up. And this is not one of those times where he didn't bring it. So I would definitely recommend everybody Google Greg Popovich and in light of this weekend's protest, because he had some very great things to say. He's my favorite coach of all time, obviously, but he's just a great human being too. Um, not sure about whether or not he's a Christian believer, um, but, on humanity side he's he's a one for sure all right so we want to make sure we end this episode by letting you know about a sweepstakes that we have going on uh chris lasseter has put together some swag for us we have a watch to give away an android watch to give away we have 25 dollars worth of t-shirt apparel from sacred apparel sacred apparel and we're gonna give away a couple of signed copies of our books you know last week we talked about humility look we're not saying that we're we're all these big time authors but we think these books would be helpful for you and uh we'd like to sign those copies for you so uh we'll put the uh we'll put the link to the sweepstakes in the show notes and we'll also be tweeting it sharing it on facebook we already have about 200 entries already so 
go ahead and get in on the back end. You know, Jesus said the last will be first. Using that, that eisegesis out of context scripture quoting. So <laughs> go ahead. Just do that. <laughs> go ahead and get in on the end. You can still get that win, get that W. So um, so yeah, we'll we'll include it in the show notes just as a token of our appreciation, man. We we appreciate you guys for sticking with us for these 42 episodes. Looking forward to 42 more, 420 more, wherever the Lord leads and guides us, if it's his will. So uh just wanted to show that token of appreciation to you guys. Yeah. Speaking of ice, I think the worst I ever got isogeted with a Jesus juke was I was outside and it was something that I was like, hey, culturally, like my people don't really do this. And somebody hit me with the perfect love cast out fear. I was like, yo, wow, this, this is so far from what John had in mind. Terrible. He's trying to, he's trying to trump like Gnosticism with the gospel. <laughs> like we're missing the whole context of that here. And I don't do outdoor activities except fish on occasion. So uh, and I think I think John would be just fine with that. They hit you with that. Yeah, we got gotta love the eyes of Jesus, man. Gotta love it. The Jesus juke. So all right, man. Episode number 42. Gotta appreciate the great one, Jackie Robinson, for uh joining us on this episode, at least in spirit. Um, and we appreciate all the sacrifices that he made. We ask that you continue to dialogue with us, disagree with us if you want, um, but do it in brotherly and sisterly love. How about that? How about that? Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, at Boxing One Podcast. Go over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a rating and review. We'd appreciate that. Until next time, this has been Jay Rich and C. Lass. Peace out.